0: Hey y'all, you tired of church teaching that just ain't right and kind of contrary to all God's word and such? Well, you need to know how to refute it. This here channel will help you out. We got answers. Welcome to Contended for Christ Apologetics, where old Danny boy seeks to equip you with some tools that so you can go out and fight that good fight and really develop that there Christian faith. Now get after it, y'all. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to C4C Apologetics Podcast. This is going to be the final uh, podcast episode in this three-part series that we've been looking at. So we've been looking at three main areas or categories of different methods for uh, performing apologetics. We looked at experiential apologetics and the fact that we can use our testimony, our witness, and our experience to give a reason why we believe in God and show God's rational, uh, the rationality of God's existence. The second one we looked at was called Evidential Apologetics. And Evidential simply just looked at evidence for why we believe in God and God's existence and the truthfulness of Christianity. Whether this was from the design aspect, the teleological argument, whether this was simply from the internal evidence of scripture, or mainly the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that empty tomb. Now, this third one is going to be talking about presuppositional apologetics, and many people believe that this is actually one of the stronger methods of apologetics that you could perform. Uh, Classical apologetics, which is really a two-part apologetic method, sort of has some foundations in presuppositional apologetics, but it's a little different with a little bit of a nuance to it. But we're going to talk about presuppositional apologetics here today. So what is presuppositional apologetics? Well, first understand what presuppositional apologetics is. You really got to understand what is a presupposition. We all have presuppositions. You have them. I have them. The guy down the street has them. The guy that lives down in Mulberry Lane has them. We all have basically a presupposition is simply something that you assume to be true And in order to hold to a truth claim or a uh, uh, really just a belief that you have to continue assuming that to be true. And if that presupposition was found to be false, your line of reasoning, your truth claim would be false. For instance, say you see a buddy of yours uh, walk in and and you see them with a different hat, a new hat. You never seen it. You're like, hey, where did you buy the hat? Well, you're presupposing the fact that they purchased that hat. You see, that person could have uh, stolen the hat. The person could have been given the hat as a gift. You see, but if you're seeing somebody with a new hat and you presuppose they're buying it, if they say, no, I was given this, I didn't buy it, then logically you're not going to consider the fact of the member buying that hat, and the member, <laughs> the person purchasing that hat. You're going to tr- change your belief in the fact that, okay, I know this person didn't buy the hat. And now this person actually received the hat. Hey, where did you get the hat? Where, who gave it to you? You know, that's awesome. Was it just a gift for free? Or say you see a guy and a girl walking down the street together and you're like, Hey, how long have you two been together? Well, you're presupposing that they're a couple whether they're a dating couple or a married couple, whatever the case is. Now, it could be that they just met and they're just walking to the same coffee shop or that they're just traveling partners and they're not married, they're not together, they're just friends. And so when you find out that they're not a couple, then you can't continue to hold the belief that they are. That presupposition has been challenged and now your presupposition is found to be false. So now you have to change your view and your belief on that. And so... Like I said, if you see somebody with a new hat and and you want to continue the line of reasoning that, hey, they bought the hat when they clearly said and proven that Noah was given to him as a gift, you would be silly, right? And so, but many times in the beliefs and the views that we have today, it's the same thing. We have these presuppositions. We have this truth claim, but yet when something challenges it or something nullifies it, falsifies it then it's very hard for people to change that presupposition because a lot of times those presuppositions have been held onto and believed for a very long time you see the problem isn't that we have presuppositions the problem is that we refuse to challenge our presuppositions because either arrogance pride ignorance or again like the presupposition of evolution You got to think evolutionary theory has been taught in the school system uh, from kindergarten all the way up to 12th grade. If you're just going to do high school education, 12 years right there. And even before you start, you have uh, cartoons and and kids shows that even teach and show uh, the inaccuracy of evolution. So pretty much for 12 plus years, at least in a public education system, someone has been taught evolution as truth. And so when some crazy guy like me comes around and talks about creation and evolution is uh, not substantiated, not documented well, and and creation is the truth of the matter, they are going against what they've presupposed for over 12 years in a public education. And that's really hard to challenge and to break that hole that that evolution would have. And so it's very difficult to challenge and accept the fact that our presuppositions have to be changed. So that's presuppositions—just something that you believe to be true without any real uh, hard, concrete evidence. You never really considered the claim, but yet if it's proven false, you have to change your presupposition to continue a line of reasoning. So, how does that tie into apologetics? What is presuppositional apologetics? Basically, it's taking the basic—basically, uh, it's taking the basic presuppositions or the truth claims. And you're trying to seek and determine if it's tenable, if it's livable, if there's a logical consistency in those truth statements. Because if there's no logical consistency, then a new truth statement has to be made and discovered. You see, a, lot of, a large part of this apologetics is challenging the presuppositions that we hold through what's known as worldviews. And for a while, I didn't really understand what a worldview was until I started deep diving into the different worldviews and and the main questions. You see, a worldview seeks to answer, uh, some people say three, some people say upwards of seven, but really there there's three or four main questions that every worldview has. And how you answer these questions will gauge how you consider and how you look at the world through what lens are you going to look at? why people are the way they are, why we should do things, why should we act a certain way. And so you have a theistic worldview and you have a secular worldview. I would just argue those two sides. But every worldview seeks to answer a few questions. Number one, where did we come from? How did we get here? You know, Were were we created by a God, an intelligent being, uh, some deity, or were we created, as Lawrence Krauss says, that we just came from stars, stardust, and that we owe our existence to the stars? So where do we come from? Where are we going after we die? Are we going to a place called heaven or possibly a place called hell? Is, Is there just nothing? Do we return back to the stars? Do we become the grass and then the antelope eat the grass and we're part of a circle of life? Where are we going? The third question we seek to answer is why are we even here what's the purpose of our existence is our purposeful existence uh, because god has a reason for us or is our existence merely just some random cosmic accident? and there really is no purpose other than what you seek to make for your own and then the fourth is what's morality where do we get the values that we hold to how do we really differentiate between what is right and what's wrong How do I know if my right is your right, or if your wrong is my wrong? Could it be that we have these differing views? And is there objective, or is there an absolute standard for all these? You see, when we're looking at worldviews, that's one of the basics of presuppositions. We're seeking to really dissect somebody's worldview, or even our own, and to see if there's a logical consistency in answering those questions, and see if it's livable, livable in the fact of if you answer the question on wireway here and we say it's just a random accident there's really no purpose how livable is that how much joy and happiness does that bring in a life how much does that allow you to serve your neighbor okay frank turk has this uh lecture this presentation called stealing from god and basically in this he argues where Anybody that doesn't have a theistic or even, uh, I'll say, a deistic worldview, they have to steal from God to make a case. Because from a theistic worldview, we can can articulate how the laws of logic, the law of non-contradiction, the law of identity, the law of excluded middle, that these are a reflection of God's character, that two opposing truth statements cannot be true at the same time, this law of non-contradiction. And then we can articulate how reasoning comes through. How A has to equal B and B equals C to get to D type deal. So Dr. Frank Turk points out the fact how anybody without one of these worldviews has to steal from God to have logic and coherency in their, in their uh, rebuttal, their statement, whatever the case is, which is only available through a theistic worldview in God. And the reason why I say is because laws of logic, if we're looking at a... Uh, secular worldview and we're saying that all this was created uh, at one point in time eons ago that everything we have now was condensed uh, so fine the size of a freckle on our skin and that everything in the known universe was right there and then at one point in time singularity something affected it and we have this rapid expansion of the universe and we believe that everything we have in the universe is all from naturalism all from materialism that there is nothing outside of that then that begs the question on how does logic, which is an immaterial object or thought or abstract, uh, where does that come from and how does that generate from material? I think it's Frank Turk that says it, is it mind that created matter or matter create mind? Now, we can clearly articulate and see throughout our day-to-day life how mind creates matter because we have human beings, we have people that are skilled in engineering, that are skilled in art, art, artistry, artistic qualities, that can create many things. And so we can see how mind, a thought, produces an object or something. But we can never obse- observe, we can never observe how something take this microphone that I'm talking into right now, how this microphone can create a painting or a thought or uh, some sort of coherent statement, things like that. And so what Frank Turt tries to get across is the fact that there's no way that materialism, if that's all there is, could create the immaterial because it's all just centered on the materialism. And then there's no way that a non-abstract entity could create the abstract, such as consciousness, such as the fact of that little angel on your shoulder and the little devil on your shoulder telling you, hey, do this, do that, things like that. And then dreams and everything else. Now, one of the rescuing devices that we talked about in the last episode when we were looking at evidential apologetics was the fact of, uh, we talked about rescuing devices and how there's almost always a... uh, I would personally say a cop out to explain away solid arguments for God's existence. And one of the arguments for uh the whole consciousness and that moral compass that we have, they say, is, is just chemical reactions in the brains and just experience throughout behavior and just how our experiences and our actions have negative reactions. And so there are going to be these rescuing devices. But when we're looking at presuppositional apologetics from a worldview, we can really ask some questions as far as, okay, if you believe this, then how does this happen? Where does that come from? And you will find that there is a lot of begging the question. You will find that there are a lot of answers that cannot be given logically and coherently. You see, when we look at the inconsistency of this secular belief or reasoning, for instance, I believe that everybody has some sort of moral compass moral gauge now what's interesting is how someone will say oh you're not supposed to judge people but yet in saying you're not supposed to judge people you're judging that statement or that person in and of itself and there go you're making a judgment as well saying you should not do this so You see the inconsistency, you see the incoherency, because just like uh, the other aspect that's pointed out is, you'll hear someone say, oh, there's no such thing as absolute truth. Well, is that statement absolutely true? Because if there is no absolute truth, then that statement is self-defeating, and that statement is not valid in and of itself, if there's no absolute truth. And so, you can't hold to these uh, logic, coherent uh, reasonings, Without a theistic worldview, there's nothing to stand on foundationally. Then you have what's called the epistemology of morality. And I believe that the epistemology of morality, or or the ability of knowing where morality begins, is a big part of this method. How does one know what is moral and what is not? How does one know what is right and what is wrong? What should you do and what should you not do? There is no objective standard for a secularist. If you don't hold to a theistic worldview, there is no objective standard to say, you shouldn't do this no matter what year it is, no matter what culture it is, uh, no matter what gender it affects. You should not do this. For instance, a theist can articulate that it is always wrong, no matter if it's today no matter if it's 5,000 years ago, no matter if it's in America, or if it's in Papua New Guinea. It is always wrong to torture babies for fun. We can say that we can stand on a foundational truth of God's word, and the morality that stems from it, that that is an immoral practice, that is wrong. But a secularist, based on their natural theories and evolution and behavior patterns and experiences, They can't hold to that same truth. Now, what they can say is based upon experiences, if you were to torture a baby for fun, it's going to cause a negative reaction amongst the community, and therefore that community is what gauges what's right or wrong for the individual actions. And if that community negatively reflects upon torturing babies for fun, then it's considered an immoral practice because of cultural relevance. But say you're over in some tribe over in Africa, You can't hold to that same objective standard for morality with another culture because if that community adheres to it, you have no foundation to continue that line of thinking. Whereas a theistic worldview, we can turn to God's word and we can say you should not be torturing babies for fun. There's an objective moral standard that transcends time, location, gender, ethnicity, whatever the case is. You got to have an objective moral standard. So if somebody is just pointing out the fact that you, uh, you can't do this because it's not good for the community, or if an atheist or a secularist is arguing the fact that this particular action is wrong, we can always ask that question, why? Why do you believe it's wrong? Because what we'll find out is there's no objective standard other than a relativistic view. Relativism is all that they offer as far as why something is right or wrong. And when there's relativism involved and there's no objective standard for morality or truth, then anything goes. So, regarding presuppositional apologetics, this is found in scripture. For instance, in the very first verse of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What's fascinating is Nowhere in scripture do you see or read God trying to prove his existence. His existence is presupposed within scripture. Even when Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 that the wrath of God is revealed against men, that his creation is clearly seen, it's the fact that it's presupposed God is evident and God is revealed to the world through creation and through conscience. And so we see the Bible being presuppositional. We also see presuppositional apologetics whenever you read in Scripture where it says, according to the Scriptures, or as the prophet said. So they're presupposing a truth based upon historical writings and historical uh, oral traditions and things like that. So presuppositional apologetics is used plenty of times within Scripture but how do we use it in our daily lives? Well, I like the question that Dr. Frank Turk points out. If you are to talk to an atheist or an agnostic or whatever the case is, one of the questions that we should remember to ask early on in the conversation is if Christianity were to be found true, would you believe? If Jesus Christ were found to be who he said he was, would you believe in him and give your life to him? If they said no, then you know you're pretty much casting your pearls before swine and they're not going to follow or listen to any argument you have. But if they say yes, then you you have a possibility of giving some things to chew on and just to contemplate. Another way we use presuppositional apologetics in our daily lives is to explain the reason for why we believe what we believe from a biblical worldview. And remember those four questions? Where did we come from? Where did we go? Where did we come from? cotton je- No, not that. Where did we come from? Where are we going? Why are we here? What's the difference between right and wrong? A theistic worldview, specifically a biblical worldview, can articulate that very easily and logically, plus it's very livable. Because the fact that we can point out that from the Bible, we see that God created us, that it was an accident, that there was purpose in life, and that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, and that morality and the difference between right and wrong is found according to his words in Scripture, and that by living according to those words, as the psalmist said... That thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And so if we were to treasure and store God's word in our heart, we would be able to make the right decisions, be the light of the world, be the salt of the earth, to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. If we were to take his word seriously, it is very livable, a biblical worldview. Another way we can use presuppositional apologetics is just asking questions regarding the other person's view. So many times we hear, you know, an atheist agnostic or someone of another faith just tell us what they believe. But not many times do we ask them why. And One of the things I've learned throughout the course of years is if you really want to get to the root of an issue, keep asking the question, why? You came in late. Why did you come in late? Well, this happened. Well, why did that happen back at the house? Well, it's because of this. The more times you ask why, it, it, why is sort of like a shovel and you're digging and digging and digging. To get to root of whatever the issue is or whatever the problem is or whatever the statement is. It's like a bush. If you want to remove a bush from your yard, if you've ever done it, if you don't get to the root of the bush, you can get all the bush, you know, on top of the ground and, and that's visible. You could cut it all off with chainsaw, hacksaw, whatever the case is, whatever, saw, 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 seesaw. And you can get it out in from a eye, you know, surface view it looks like the bush is completely gone. But what you don't realize is underneath the ground, that bush is still growing. And what you're going to have is suckers shoot up throughout the ground. And it's going to look a lot worse than before. So, if you really want to get that bush out of the ground, you're going to have to get to the roots of it. If you get to the roots, you can remove that bush completely and you won't have any issues with it popping back up. The same thing presuppositional apologetics. If we were to continue asking questions, Okay you say that this was uh we were put here by stars you know why why do you believe that well because so and so says that well why do you believe so and so have you looked in you know their credentials and everything have you ever considered whether it makes logical sense have you ever considered if we're just random accident uh how how does that play out in choosing the right actions or okay you say You know, action X is incorrect or wrong or immoral. Why is it immoral? Is it immoral for this country over there? If it's not and you can't say if it is or not, then is there any sort of thing of what's called objective morality? And if there's no objective morality, what makes it truth of your morality? You see how we can just take them down this wide trail to get them to think. Is that worldview livable or not? The final thing as far as presuppositional apologetics and how we can personally use it in our day-to-day lives is just presuppose to Scripture. Just speak Scripture to people. Explain the truth of Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, how do you know that? Well, I know it because God revealed it through His Word, and I'm standing on the truthfulness and the accuracy and the veracity of God's Word. I believe in the infallibility and the inerrancy. I've studied many things out for the Scripture, and I found them to be very accurate. I found out that the hydrologic cycle is recorded in Scripture. I found that underwater thermal vents have been recorded in Scripture before they were found in the Galapagos Islands in the 70s. I am presupposing Scripture. You see, we must remember that we are not called, we are not commanded to save people. We cannot save people. We cannot give people eternal life. We are called to tell people. We are called to teach people. I was just talking about this today, this morning after church, is one of our main general purposes as a Christian is to know God and make him known. So if you know God as a Christian, you need to work on experientially knowing him, getting in a closer relationship of abiding in communion. But you also need to make him known to the people around you and it's not only in just words it's also in actions and deeds if you have an opportunity to show somebody what Jesus looks like by granting mercy or grace or forgiveness do it that's how you and I can make him known as well presuppositional apologetics so for a very short podcast episode that's pretty much what it is in a nutshell We all have presuppositions. We all presuppose things. The problem is is we don't challenge our presuppositions and we continue a a false or erroneous line of thinking because we won't change our beliefs. And how we can use it in day-to-day life? Ask questions. Ask why. See if that view the other person holds is livable. Does it provide for for a better society? Does it provide for growth of an individual or a person or just showing love? Is it hopelessness and spare? It's like Bertrand Russell, I think it was, that said that the universe is exactly as we would expect it to be. uh, Pitiless indifference. That there is no purpose. That it doesn't matter what you and I do. That we eat, drink, we be merry, and we die, and that's it. So continue asking, how livable is that view? And then just just tell them scripture. Just tell them the word of God. Because you'd be amazed what God can do. Not you, not me. What God can do if you just tell them the truth and let the Holy Spirit do his conviction on them. So that's presuppositional apologetics in a nutshell. Maybe in a future episode I'll get... Uh, a lot more deeper and sort of line out a lot more of this information and details. We'll probably talk about classical apologetics, but I thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to just like this, put a comment there. Uh, the more views we get, the more comments we get, the more likes we get, the more I believe that we uh, raise up into the search history or not the search history history, but just the search features. Remember this podcast on Stitcher, uh, Google podcasts, Spotify, CastBox and Apple Uh, podcast itunes whatever it is i'm not an apple guy so also check out c4c youtube channel out there c4c apologetics on the youtube site and i thank you for checking in until next time god bless (laughs)